0: Welcome to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For more info about Freedom Church, visit HelloFreedomChurch.com. Well, good morning, everybody. It is great seeing you today. We wanna welcome everybody from Crookston and just uh, we're one church, if you're new today here or Crookston, we're one church, but we do have a couple locations. We're so thankful for our brothers and sisters in Crookston. We love you guys, and, and uh, it's great having you today, as well as just everybody watching online. Uh, Jordan talked about it so well. You know, we miss you guys. Mary talked about it, and, and yet it's not possible for everybody to come back, but we certainly get that and understand that, and, and uh, hopefully soon. I know it's been just at a year now, but we launched, or I launched a series of sermons last week that's entitled God's Plan. In this series of sermons, we're looking at sexuality. I just said that word in church. We're looking at marriage, looking at family, and then looking at the roles in the family. And as we do this, I want you to know something, that as we do this, and talking about different things related to these topics, what we're gonna be doing, we're looking at these things through the lens of Scripture. So when we look at these different subjects, we're looking at it through the lens of Scripture, because one of the things that I found, and and all of us would agree with this, and that is that on all these topics, I have an opinion. We talked about this last week, and you have an opinion, and every politician has an opinion. And Hollywood, you know, uh, movie stars have opinions. And pop music stars have opinions. And talk show hosts have opinions. And authors have opinions. And everybody has an opinion, right? But what's God say? He's the one, I believe, that's created us. And so if we want to know, like, God, what is your plan? Then we need to look, look back to the Word of God. So as we do this, we're going to be looking at these topics uh, just these next weeks, to, last week, to this, uh, today, and then these next weeks, through the lens of Scripture, which I believe is God's holy, infallible, and inerrant Word. A number of years ago, Mary and I served as youth pastors, and we were there for about five years, and those were great years, and, and I'm so glad that, that, that I served, we served our time. And, uh, that is a, that's a big ministry. We've got to pray for uh, Pastor Mariah, because that's a big job, just being a youth pastor. But I remember one day, it was after a youth, one evening after a youth event, and I was taken, we had bussed a lot, bunch of kids to our, our youth event, and we did that often, every service, and, and then our events, and I remember one day driving the church van, taking a bunch of teenagers home, and so we're in the van, it's evening, and, and, and there's some church kids there, and church kids are kids whose parents attend church. And so there were some church kids there, and they were talking about, like, man, my mom and dad, they're so hard on me. Like, I gotta be home at 10 o'clock. And like, weekends, it's like, I don't remember what it was in there. And they're just kind of complaining about curfew. And, and it was at that time, I had been spending some time at an alternative school. And an alternative school is a public school, but it's a school where, where students have not been able to be within like a public classroom setting with a, uh, you know, with a teacher in, in a classroom setting. And so there, there's a, a additional supervision required. A lot of times they've been, you know, expelled or whatever from that, from that setting. And so uh, this individual, this young student had been, uh, I had met him through the, the alternative school. And I remember as we were driving with these kids kind of talking about, you know, curfew and complaining. I remember him saying this. He says, you know, you know what I wish I had a curfew, I'm like, wow! And I think I don't think that the other kids understood what he's saying, but what he was saying is this I wish there was somebody that cared enough for me to tell me that you, I want you home at 10 o'clock. I mean, what he was saying is, I wish there was somebody that really like, took an interest in me, so said, here's some guidelines, and this is what I want you to do. And as we look at these things in Scripture, th- we have to understand this. If we miss this point, we've missed it all. And that is this point that God, as he speaks to us through his word, it's out of this incredible fatherly heart because he loves you. He cares about you. In fact, when the disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Jesus said, pray them this way. Our dad, our father, who is in heaven... And he goes on, and the word, that, 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 that descriptive term father is used like repeatedly in the Lord's Prayer, as it's all, all connected to this whole thought of prayer. Like, this is who, this is who he says, I want you to look to me as his father. And so as a father, a good father says, guys, here's some things, here's some guidelines I want to tell you. And so as we talk about all these things, it's, it's, it is completely out of an incredible deep heart of love, fatherly love, that he speaks to us these things. Last week I shared three important truths from Genesis chapter 1. We went all the way back to the beginning. Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28. And those, I'm going to do just a quick run through. Number one says that we were made in the image of God. He said that when God made us, he made us in his image. Awesome, Right? We did it last week, let's do it again. Look to the person beside you and say, you look divine. (laughs) Woo, all right. You look divine. (laughs) You are not a mistake. You are not a mistake. In fact, God didn't make any mistakes when he created you. You have been made with incredible intention and purpose and design. God took out the mirror and he looked in the mirror and he says, aha, this is how I'm going to make you. And so he fashioned us from looking in the mirror. He created us in his image. Number two, we talked about as we look at Genesis 1, that God gave us our gender. When God created us, he created us male, male, some male and some female, but God created our gender, and, when, and our gender, as we talked about, is an incredible gift that He gives to us. To be male or to be female. What an incredible gift. And, and, and when He made you male or made you female, I just I want you to know he didn't make a mistake. I know there's a lot of forces today. We talked about how Satan attacks the enemy of our souls, tries to attack us in so many areas, And, and this is an area where he can attack us. Like, no, God, you're a mistake. God made a mistake when he made you male or female, but I want you to know from Scripture, God did not make a mistake when he gave us the gender that he did. Number three is this, that God created sex. Brings Adam and Eve together and says, what I want you to do is now be fruitful and multiply. We talked about that a little bit descriptive last week. What he means by that is I want you to procreate. I want you to produce children. And so now today, as we launch back into this series, back into this, the sermon today, we're gonna to go back to those same verses, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And in Genesis 1, 26, it says, Then God says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Genesis 1, 27 says, God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. And male and female, he created them. What I find significant in verse 26 is this, that the, it's the use of pronouns that he uses in verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Three pronouns used in verse 26 and all used in a plural sense. Let us Make man in our image, after our likeness. What's interesting is that just the next the, the few verses after that, verses 29 and 30, and really so much throughout all of Genesis, he refers to himself sing, in a singular pronoun. Verse 29, God says, "Behold, I have given every plant yielding seed." Verse 30, "Behold, I have given every plant for uh, green plant for food." And so there, in verse 26, when he creates us in his image, it's written in this plural sense, the it, we, you know, our and our. Or, let me say, us, let us make man in our image. And so I say, what's the big deal? Like, like why does this matter? Maybe it was just some translator's mistake, but, but can I tell you something? When you go all the way back to the original Hebrew, it's not a mistake. These translations are very accurate. Where Genesis, when we're made in the image of God, it's written with these plural pronouns, and thereafter it's used singular pronouns. There's a couple words I want to share with you today. Two words. The first word is the word diversity. Diversity, and I know it's something we hear a lot about today, but diversity. When God says in verse 126, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, what, and, and he uses these plural pronouns, he's, he's referring to the fact that God is a trinity, God is a Trinity. You'll never find the word Trinity in Scripture, but as you look through it, you'll find that, that this thought of this this the, the triune nature of God certainly comes to that, and it's it's, it's absolute truth. It's God the Father with specific roles, specific responsibilities, specific characteristics. It's God the Son, Jesus Christ, with specific roles, specific responsibilities, and then it's God the Holy Spirit. And these three, in their uniqueness, in their unique roles, unique like characteristics, all together they comprise what we refer to as God, or, or the Godded, the triune God. And so when God says, let us make mankind in our image, he's speaking like, yeah, let let us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let's make mankind in our diverse image. Diverse image. And these three distinct personalities, and, and, and we're gonna get into this in the, in the last few sermons when we talk about just what is to be a man, a woman, husband, wife, we'll talk about those things. But, but when you think about these three distinct personalities, each fully God, yet all incredibly harmoniously intertwined. I mean, if you want a picture of, like, like, of, of such amazing unity, it's, it's, it's the Godhead, it's the triune God. And if you, we should, I'd love to study that, but I mean, Jesus says, I don't do anything. I only do what my Father tells me. I don't do anything unless he directs me. Like what he does, that's what I do. And between the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, there's such incredible unity. And really maybe a phrase that we could say, such incredible unity amidst such incredible diversity, because they all have unique roles and qualities. But yet there's such incredible unity amongst them. When I think about it, God is a God of, of diversity, isn't he? We talked about it last week, and I, the word I think I used was the word geek, right? I kind of geeked out a little bit, something that I enjoyed. And we talked about the vertebrae world and, and all the mammals and all the amphibians and all the reptiles and all the birds and all the fish and like, just like amazing diversity, we talked as well about the insect world—over five, five million unique species of insects. When you add all the invertebrates, it's something like six point seven million different species of invertebrates, guys. Like, how do we comprehend that? It wasn't—it wasn't just a mistake. It wasn't those things that just evolved, evolved over billions and billions of years. No, God, with this incredible in, like diversity, created all the unique creation. I think the diversity of the ecosystems of this world. There's there's the towering mountains with dense coniferous forests. There's the jungles. There's the rainforest. But how about the hot deserts? And then there's the vast grasslands. And there's the endless miles of frozen tundra. And let's not forget about the oceans and the seas. Like what an, an attribute to God's vast diversity. He could have made it all. He could have made it all tundra. And we would have said yes. We can live there. He could have made it all rain for us. He could have made it like, like whatever ecosystem. He could have made it all like that. But no, God says, no, I'm not gonna make it like that. I'm gonna make it with all this diversity because that's representative of who he is. He's a God of diversity. That's God the Father, God the Son, the God the Holy Spirit. And again, in this, in this uniqueness and the unity amongst this diversity, he creates this. I think about humanity. Any diversity look around. Any diversity here? Oh yeah. Some really diverse people, right? Think about the diverse uh, the diversity in ethnicities. The diversity of of body shapes and sizes and eye colors and hair colors and feet size and 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 and, and Eyebrows and 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 unibrows and 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 earlobes and I, I I mean like you could go on and on. I mean there's such incredible diversity, and then you add into that all the unique personalities, and to think there's no people two people alike. I mean like wow, how does this happen? It, it's like it's so mind blowing. So but yet so amazingly beautiful. That didn't just happen. It wasn't just. A mistake. It wasn't just coincidence, but it's all a part of God's incredible design and creation. Because He's a God of incredible diversity, and it all flows from His character of who He is. So, diversity. And so, when God says, Let's make mankind in our image, what kind of an image do you think that will portray? Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. We can be sure it will involve diversity. Genesis 2-7, we're going to jump ahead to Genesis chapter 2. There's really two accounts of the creation story. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, they're not, they're not different. They're, they're, they're the same account, but they just give different details, and, and they all dovetail together so beautifully. But we're going to jump ahead to the second account now. He talks about creation, Genesis 2-7. It says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being... Yeah. And the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And all the ladies said, amen. It's not good. It's not good. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then, and then he does this crazy thing. I, I have read this like my whole life. I remember, like, studying this in in seminary, like, this doesn't make sense. Like, God, why do you talk about, like, that he created man, and then he goes to talk about animals, and then he goes back to man. Why don't you take, because my, you know, chronological engineering mind says, that doesn't fit there, let's move that over here. But God knows what he's talking about. Let's there was there was it says there's no no helper that was suitable for him. And then verse 19 says, "And out of the ground God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them." And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. That's a big job, isn't it? I mean, that's like a full day job, a full day job to like name all the creatures. And the man gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. And then, then he says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Think about it. God marches all of, all of the creation in front of Adam. Lion, you're going to be giraffe. You'll be the zebra. You're going to be like a cow. You're going to be a dog. You're going to be a like mesquite. I, I, mean, I don't know all the details of it. But he marches all of creation in front of Adam. And then it says this, but... But after all of the creation marches in front of Adam, and all, after all of that, it says, but there was no helper that was suitable for Adam. There was no helper suitable for him. And I think it's at this point in the creation story, as I've been thinking about it, and I know my mind can go a little imaginative, But I think it's at this point of the creation story that God could have very easily simply made another man. I mean, there's already one man, Adam. Why don't we make two men, Adam and whoever it may be? Let's make two men because like we are looking for this helper suitable for Adam and like why don't we just do that? It seems in my to be honest in my opinion like well that makes like rash that makes like human sense let's make another man and he could have created like just a lone gender just male or whatever it may be but he didn't and why didn't he because i believe i believe through scripture It would not have have displayed the amazing beauty and unity that comes from the God of diversity. It would not have been true to his nature that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let's make mankind in our image and he makes them and to have done that would not have been true to his nature. So he says, I'm gonna make them in my image according to my nature, I wanna make them and so he creates man all the animals march in front of me and says okay there's nobody a helper suitable and so we got to do something about it. we have to make a helper that's, suit- that's suitable in verse genesis 2 21 it says this so the lord god caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man i don't know about you but in our home there's a lot that happens when the man is sleeping right <laughs> and he slept then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh of that place and the Lord God fashioned. This is God's plan. It is so beautiful, guys. I mean, I mean, just, it is so beautiful. And so God takes this rib from Adam, <laughs> opens up his side, reaches in, and removes the rib from Adam. And what he does, he takes this rib, and he creates Eve. He creates this woman from this rib, which is to, and then he brings her to the man. I mean, can you imagine this? Again, here's my mind again. Adam's just going through his day. He's probably got his like his flint, you know, knife, and he's probably whittling some little thing, and all of a sudden God brings Eve to Adam, and he's like, "Whoa!" And then she comes. I'm not saying this seductively, but she just comes like sauntering out. And 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 we all know how a woman got her name, right? because Adam is like, whoa, man. And then it was shortened to woman. But anyway, uh, like, wow. Oh my goodness, this is just like, like, wow. And Adam's first response is, this is now bone of my bones. This is now flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she's like one of me. She's one of me. She's not one of the animals. She's not one. I mean, talk about equal, like, like equal, like value and worth. Like that—that's God, and that's in His creation. This incredible sense of diversity that He created with man and woman. That's the beauty of God's creation. That's the beauty of it that he carefully, intentionally creates male and female, and the diversity of the sexes of male and female all point to the beauty and the glory of an incredible, amazing, and a diverse God. It's so amazing and so beautiful. And I know today, I know this is a very sensitive subject. I understand that. And so I I tread very carefully. But as I look at Scripture, it becomes very intentional to me and very clear that God's intention for marriage is this. It's for one man, Adam, to be joined to one woman, Eve, in a monogamous relationship. As I, that's what I see, that's God's plan for marriage. And for you young people, I just want you to know something, that you are living in historical times. I pray for our nation, I pray for you know uh, those in the White House, it doesn't matter, the, the political party, and I don't, I don't taint this pulpit with political rhetoric, but I want you to know that we're living in some incredible times where, where the very definition of what marriage is that stood for thousands of years is now being redefined in front of your eyes. I'm talking to you, university students. It's not like your grandparents, it's not your parents, let's talk in our generation, in your generation, the the redefinition of what this, this of, of marriage looks like. A triune God, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, each incredibly diverse with unique roles, unique roles, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, unique roles, incredible diversity who exist in such amazing, beautiful harmony and oneness, creates man and woman in his image, each incredibly unique, but with the capability for them to be a beautiful picture of the same oneness and that same unity of which the triune God exists. That's beauty. That's beauty. And that's why, that's why Satan attacks you when you've been made in the image of God. He attacks you in that area. That's why he attacks gender. That's why he, he does everything to pervert sex. Because everything that God has created, Satan comes to pervert. Everything that God has created, Satan comes. The enemy of our soul comes to like pervert. Music is amazing, but he comes to pervert. To per, body movement is just beautiful. Watch a little, a little baby when you turn on some music. It's beautiful, but the enemy comes to per- pervert that. I think about gender. It's such a beautiful thing, male and female, but then the enemy comes and he tries to pervert it. I think about sexual expression between a husband and wife, but what does the enemy do? He comes to try to pervert those things. And he attacks because because like you represent the image of God and so he wants to attack that. Your gender represents the image of God and so the enemy doesn't like that so he comes to undermine that and to attack it. And marriage represents, it's to represent, it's to represent the image of this incredible diverse but, but a God of all unity and he comes to attack that area. That's why he hates you. If you're married today, he hates your marriage. The enemy hates your marriage because it reflects the image of this diverse, incredible God of all unity, and so he will launch everything he can against your marriage. His attacks are endless to try to like bring, bring like, like dissolution, to dissolve it, to bring hurts, to bring pain, and this thing, marriage, when it's good, is really, really good, right? Amen, but when marriage is bad, it's really, really bad, right? Not quite as, as many amens, but right. I mean, I mean, when I sit with a young couple in my office, I'm like, oh, pastor, we love this person. I'm like, this, our marriage was made in heaven. It's gonna be amazing. And then say, that's awesome, but that's, heaven is like also where thunder and lightning come from, too, okay? So just gotta remember that portion of it, too, and sometimes it can shake us. And, but I want you to know, that. well let me just say this first. The second word, the first word is diversity. God is a God of diversity. But the second word is reflection. Reflection, two words today I wanna to leave us with. It is God's desire that through his creation that it would reflect his beauty and his glory. Think about this. Psalms 19, verse one, NIV, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. This morning I was up early and I was in the lower level of our house and we've got a larger window and I was just standing at the window, there's a little sill, standing at the sill and there was a full moon, I don't know if you knew that, and there was a clear sky and I was looking at that moon, I kinda knew what I was preaching on at that point, so like, okay, and like, that's amazing. I mean, this huge globe that just hangs in the sky, and it's like, how does that get there? How does it stay there? Where's the cable to hold it? But it just stays there, suspended in in, in air, and then just on this gravity. I mean, like, it's just absolutely amazing. And David says, the heavens declare... There's a God, the heavens declare God. Let's give glory to God. Verse two says, day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they're not speaking words. They use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out in all of the earth and their words to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the world. If you've ever stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon, if you've ever looked up at a star-filled sky, if you've ever like, smelled the aroma of a, of a rose that, that's, that's broke forth from its bud and now becomes this beautiful blossom of a flower, if you've ever watched a, a, a cow give birth to a calf and the, and the incredible instinct that this, this, this cow has to stand up and begin to lick its, its young and then for the little calf, staggering begins to suck from its mother, begins to nurse, like, how does this happen? How does this happen? How, I mean, it's just amazing, and it's, the Bible says that it all reflects God's glory, it reflects His diversity. And in the same way that creation reflects God's glory, it is God's desire that marriage would reflect His glory as well. That, that the closest picture that people would get of God would be when they look at our marriages and they go, whoa, those people are so not alike. They are so diverse, but wow, do they work together so well. The purpose of marriage, let me say this, marriage is not made to make us happy. I know that may come as, I've said that before, it may come as a little bit of a surprise to us. We think, I'm going to get married to this young, strong buck, and boy, am I going to be happy. I'm going to marry this young, beautiful, you know, uh, just dazzling, stunning woman, and whoa, am I going to be so happy. And can I be honest? I mean, you can read Scripture all you want, the Bible doesn't say, get married and get happy. Actually, there's no, there is no institution like marriage that reveals selfishness like marriage. Mary and I have been married for 38 years. Thank the Lord to Mary, right? <laughs> and it's amazing. It's it's amazing, and we are so alike in so many ways. Our faith, we're both the third child of six kids, and we fit in so well with each other, and people say, you guys are so, and we are so much alike, and then there are those areas in which we are like black and white. And being, you know, getting married at the ripe old age of 20 and Mary was 19, we thought, well, this will be easy because, like, I know I'm right because it's who I am. It's how I'm made. This is all I know. And so this will be really easy to change her once we're married. It doesn't work that way, guys. Guess who does the changing? Me. And what I didn't realize at that moment at the time of getting married is that what God's intent was Nathan... I want you in your love for Mary to reflect my presence. And I want you to be a representation of this incredible diverse Godhead, but that operates in such incredible unity. And so yes, marriage, I would not trade it for the world. It's never been more valuable or near or dear or just fulfilling than in my life than it has been these last months even to be honest. I love it, I love it. But I can also say it's been one of the most difficult things too because not, not because of Mary but because it reveals such things in my heart that have not been pleasing to the Lord. I begin studying to be an engineer because my mind, that is me. It is math, science, order, and sequence. Anybody like algebra? Thank you. I'm not alone, okay? There's something about algebra that's so methodical the answer, and I love that because it's this order and sequence, and so that's why I'm going to be an engineer because two plus two equals four. Okay, that's just the way it is. I know there's probably some people say no, it doesn't, or some other realm of realization. I'm not sure, but like it does to me. So that makes sense. And then I married my wife, and and Mary is a musician and an artist. And so it's like, so she has this incredible high view of beauty. She loves beauty. We're traveling in town the, this week, and she was looking out the window. Honey, this snow is so beautiful. And I'm like, I just shoveled it this morning. I mean, come on now. Like, <laughs> and she's, this is, I just love living in North Dakota. I just love the snow. Isn't it beautiful? She, she can, I mean, and, and she's, she's like this for beauty and can be spontaneous and free-spirited. We met, she was nine, I was 10. I remember at those young, younger years, I remember looking at this lady. I'm sticking back here just like this wallflower and she's just like, woohoo! just, I'm like, man, I love that. Whoa, and like, why are we, why are we attracted to the opposites? Like, like, that's what happens and there's something so beautiful about that. But what happens is then those unique you know, the unique differences then serve to divide us later on. And what needs to happen is moments to say, "God, I want to reflect your, your, your presence and your character." And so God in it, I want to love, and ladies want to respect." I mean, Mary can sit at the piano playing Beethoven and Rachmaninoff and Bach for hours and just) And it's, it's beautiful. But then she goes into another realm where she doesn't play no one's songs. And just as she's worshiping, if I can reveal a little secret, as she's worshiping the Lord, she can play just chords and, 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 and some chord progressions that are not even, they're not written down anywhere because it's just this spontaneous thing that boils up within her just in worship and praise to God. Man, I can't even think about doing that. But there's such amazing beauty and it's not an accident. And how is it that opposites attract I'm not exactly sure, but what I do know is that God's desire for marriage is that our marriages would give glory to God by reflecting his image. It was a full week for me and, and different things that were going on and on Friday I had a meeting which was normally my day off, but I had a meeting that day and so when I got done with the meeting, I came home and I said, Honey, let's let's just take it, let's take a little drive. And so we got in the car and we began to drive down the interstate heading south to Fargo and we were just gonna get some lunch and just sometimes just to be a husband and wife and man, it was kind of a crazy thing but I'll just be honest, like God met me there as we were just driving. And I knew what I was preaching on so I said, honey, how do you think, you know, I'm preaching about does like marriages that reflect God with two incredibly diverse people but yet that come together in such amazing oneness and unity, and that's really a reflection of, of the Godhead, the triune God. And so, so, like, how do you think we're doing? How do you think we're doing in our... In, and we talked about, so I think we're doing okay. And there's times, and then something really hit me. And I, 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 I it, it just, I begin to think, like, in ministry, I, I really love people. And God's called me to be a pastor, and I know that's my calling, and, and I love the calling, and I want to be the best that I can to shepherd and to love people. But sometimes my desire is so strong for people to find Jesus, because I know the joy he can bring to their life. I know the transformation, and that becomes my goal. That becomes my motivation. I want people to experience Jesus. I want them to experience Jesus. And as I was traveling, God just began to speak to me. And Mary says, what's going on, honey? And I said, I don't know, I don't know. And some tears just, which I'm not a real emotional kind of person. I said, you know something, God's shown me something. I've kind of had it wrong all these years. How did I miss this? Like, like helping people to find Christ is so, it's wonderful. And we should always be on that mission. But that's been the strong motivation. But maybe God's saying there's actually a higher motivation. Maybe the higher motivation is that my life and my ministry and my marriage was actually just purely be this, just to reflect God's glory and to give him praise and glory. Maybe there's a higher calling that somehow as a pastor, I'm ashamed to say I missed it. And God has been speaking to my heart, yes, Nathan, there's a higher calling than, than just what you do, it's who you are. It's not just about, it's not about just like doing, it's about being and being that son and being a follower and just reflecting, reflecting his image and his glory. And so today as we talk about marriage, as we talk about sexuality, as we talk about these things, a God of incredible diversity. But the purpose being that together in great unity that we reflect his image. And even even in the act of marriage, sexual intimacy, isn't it amazing that God takes men and women in the most diverse areas and he uses in that area to bring them together in such an incredible act of intimacy and oneness. Therefore, man will leave his father and mother, join to his wife, and they will become one flesh in the middle of such great diversity. One flesh. That's the incredible plan of God. And today, my prayer for you that are married, you know, as many years as we have or more, that you would continue just to experience and reflect God's glory to your children and to your grandchildren. Man, does grandpa love grandma. Wow, I mean, like they're always holding hands. I mean, they're like, my desire for, 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 for you young couples is that you would understand this with children, that this is the, this is the goal, this is the desire, to reflect his image. And for you young people that are single, you're not married yet, reflecting his image doesn't start the day that you write your name on a marriage license, it starts today, that, that in your, all that you do, that, that your work reflects his image, that your finances reflect his generosity, that, that your work reflects your commitment to the Father that your, our marriages reflect the unity, that our sexuality re, like, reflects the purity of who God is, and all these things just to be a reflection of God in this world, to reflect God. And so, Father, today, if the band, Jordan, if you want to come today, maybe we could sing the song with the last one, a beautiful name. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just love you so, so much, God. Lord, we, just, we, we declare your name is holy and honorable and righteous, Lord, and just today, and that you are beautiful beyond comprehension. Oh, God, God in Jesus' name, God, thank you so much, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And, and I want to say just one thing before we before Crookston goes this way and other people just begin uh, maybe getting up uh, off the couch to get their coffees or whatever it is. First John 3.1 says, see how great a love the Father is lavished on us that we would be called children of God. That's what we are. You know what's really interesting is that we become like our fathers, or we, we look a little bit like our dads. And so what what, what scripture is saying let's let's look like our dads. But it really, it only happens in relationship. And so if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, I would encourage you just to really to submit all that you have to him today and welcome him into your heart and life. Saying, Jesus, I accept you today as my savior. If you have not done that, you can do that today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay connected with us, visit us on our website or check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Hello Freedom Church. Have a great week.